You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Someone, probably Vietnam, is trying to develop intelligence on China's experience with the coronavirus. Florentine Banker is an example of well-organized crime. iOS zero days have been exploited in the wild. A crypto mining botnet is sinkholed. Malek Ben Salem from Accenture Labs on encrypted DNS. Our guest is Russ Moore from Mobile Iron on why the applications that excite us about 5G are the same applications that warrant the most concern. And intelligence services and criminals are tuning their fish bait to current events, as they always do. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, April 23rd, 2020. FireEye yesterday published a report describing their conclusion that APT32, a threat actor associated with the Vietnamese government, was engaged in intrusion campaigns designed to collect intelligence from Chinese targets concerning the pandemic. The researchers say they found spearfishing messages sent to China's Ministry of Emergency Management and the government of Wuhan, where the pandemic is generally regarded as having begun. Vietnam has denied involvement in cyber espionage against Chinese organizations involved in controlling the COVID-19 virus. Reuters says Hanoi today dismissed the accusations as baseless. In fairness to Hanoi, and with all due respect to the plausible and implausible deniability intelligence services prize so greatly, it does seem hard to fault any government for trying to figure out just what in the world actually has been going on in Wuhan for the last few months. Checkpoint has identified a gang they call Florentine Banker that's involved in sophisticated theft from selected banks, mostly investment houses. The campaign is patient, does careful reconnaissance, begins with spear phishing and ends with wire fraud. It's not so much organized crime as it is extremely well-organized crime. The targeted firms are British and Israeli organizations, and they all use Microsoft Office 365 as their main email provider. The operation proceeded in six stages. First, obtain email credentials through spear phishing. Second, observe the victim, read their emails to understand how the organization transfers money, what its relationships are with customers, banks, lawyers, and accountants, and what the key roles are within the organization. Checkpoint says this stage can take months. Next, control and isolate. The attackers do this by creating mailbox rules 
that divert mail with interesting content to folders the Florentine banker is monitoring and that the compromised individual isn't paying much attention to. The fourth stage is to set up lookalike domains and begin using them to conduct email conversations. The mark is likely to miss the small change in the domain name. The next step is to ask for money, either by intercepting legitimate wire transfers or generating new, entirely fraudulent ones. And then, finally, the gang monitors the conversation and troubleshoots any problems until the funds are in their account. Checkpoint doesn't know where the Florentine bankers are locating, but the bank accounts they use seem to have been either in the UK or Hong Kong. For the most part, they seem to speak English. The researchers observe that the criminals don't speak Hebrew. If they did, they wouldn't have missed out on some of the opportunities that appeared in that language. Researchers at the digital forensics shop ZecOps reported yesterday that they discovered two iOS zero days that were undergoing active exploitation in the wild. Vice says the researchers think it likely that those doing the exploitation may be working on behalf of a nation-state and that they might have been purchased from an exploit broker. Quote, it's someone who's spending budgets on buying exploits, but they don't really have the technical capabilities to change those exploits for better OPSEC. End quote. Apple declined to comment to Reuters on ZecOps research, but did say that the vulnerabilities would be closed in the next release of iOS. ESET has taken down and sinkholed the command and control servers for the VictoryGate crypto mining botnet. Some 35,000 machines are thought to have been infected, ZDNet reports. Google's Threat Analysis Group has a report on how nation-states are using COVID-19 as fishbait. TAG says it's tracked over a dozen government threat groups fishing with coronavirus lures. The goal of the attackers has been either delivery of malware packages or credential harvesting. Many of the targets were U.S. government employees. These were often baited with bogus offers of free fast food, presented as a generous gesture from various hospitality chains. These attempts were, on the whole, indiscriminate mass-mailed spam, interesting in part because of what they suggest about hostile intelligence services' views of what interests and motivates American civil servants. Burgers and fries, mostly. TAG doesn't offer any attribution of these fishing expeditions, but they do identify two threat groups by name, both of which are prospecting international health organizations, including the WHO, the UN's World Health Organization. These are Charming Kitten, associated with Iran, and Packrat, a South American group whose sponsorship is less clear. Charming Kitten has been sending emails that spoof WHO as the sender. Packrat has been running bogus WHO pages. Google doesn't see this trend as representing an increase in the amount of state-run operations. It's a shift in tactics and choice of bait, not a significant increase in operational tempo. We continue our exploration of the benefits and potential unintended consequences of the transition to 5G mobile technology. Russ Moore is with security and compliance firm Mobile Iron, and he makes his case for why the applications that excite us about 5G are the same applications that could warrant the most concern. I think for the majority of people, what they understand is, you know, it's an order of magnitude faster than 4G uh, it's great. You could download videos quicker, but there's also a lot of other benefits to 5G. And one of them that we commonly talk about is smart cities. So when we have a really high density of devices that are connecting, like when you're running uh, an electrical grid, 
when you have traffic lights, um, when you have gas and water services and things you know that cities tend to run, there can be a lot of devices connecting to those networks. So they handle density very well. And that's a technology called massive machine type communications or MMTC. So you can connect a lot more devices than you can uh, on a traditional 4G network when you're using 5G. The other thing that's really interesting about 5G is uh, the latency. So we can bring latency uh, right down to about one millisecond of delay. That's mm. really important if you are running a, a self-driving cars or drones, or you uh, have an autonomously uh, guided vehicle that needs to stop a, a, a very quickly, like let's say within 20 milliseconds. So you can actually carve out networks that have very low latency uh, with 5G that allow you to run applications uh, that just weren't possible in the past. Hmm. So what are some of the areas of concern then? Well, there are many, right? Like, uh, first of all, I mentioned um, we're going to be running vehicles and, and drones, um, and we might be doing things like telemedicine uh, with 5G. And so the applications become much more crucial much more um, dangerous if they if they actually don't function the way that they're supposed to. So you can imagine that uh, if a hacker were able to infiltrate a, a 5G network that was running drones and repurpose those drones um, to do something else, that could be dangerous. Or if they were able to get uh, penetrate a smart city, get into the grid, and you know turn all the red traffic lights green. Um, or, you know, get into the water supply and, and turn it off or, you know, shut off the electricity, those things can be, you know, really very serious. So it's actually taking ransomware to the, to the very next level, right? It's not just holding our data, but it's also holding our infrastructure, you know, at ransom. So I think that, you know, because it's so risky, we really need to have an approach that's going to allow us to operate in this new environment. And it's not the traditional approach that we've been taking. 5G is critical infrastructure. Our usage is going up um, a lot. So Verizon published a report saying that, uh, I think, in, in the middle of March, they had a 75% spike in usage. That's Verizon. I mean, I guess that's like 100 million customers, 50 mm -hmm. million customers, something like that. And then it went up again the next week, and then it went up again the week after, and people are doing things that require a lot of bandwidth, like gaming um, or Zoom sessions that, that eat up a lot of bandwidth. Um, and so 5G becomes really important um, because if we're not connected right now, it's dangerous. <laughs> That's Russ Moore from Mobile Iron. Cyber criminals are showing a similar shift in tactics. According to Fifth Domain, the FBI says it's received more than 3,600 complaints about COVID-19-themed scams. ThreatPost reports a study by Forcepoint in which the security company's researchers evaluated three months of coronavirus-related cybercrime. They determined that criminals in the aggregate have reached a peak of 1.5 million malicious emails a day. Palo Alto Network's Unit 42 has been tracking this trend, and their findings are entirely consistent with what one might expect. Their report says, quote, the traditional malice-abusing coronavirus trends includes domains hosting malware, phishing sites, fraudulent sites, malvertising, crypto mining, and black hat search engine optimization for improving search rankings 
of unethical websites, end quote. The specific content of the come-ons also varies with news. As emergency assistance to businesses becomes available in many countries, criminals will bait their appeals with references to such government aid. IBM's X-Force has studied the ways in which criminals are exploiting small business awareness of and concerns about stimulus relief packages. Several of their findings strike us as particularly noteworthy. First, more than half of those responding to IBM's survey said they would engage with an email related to their eligibility for stimulus relief. The recently unemployed are even more likely to do so. About two-thirds said they would engage. A great many small business owners said they were unsure of how to process applications for relief, and the uncertainty would tend to render them vulnerable to phishing emails that purport to guide them through the process. So, expect familiar crime dressed up in COVID-19 garb. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Malek Ben-Salem. She's the America's cybersecurity R&D lead for Accenture. Malek, it's always great to have you back. Uh, I wanted to get your take today on encrypted DNS. It's uh, been a hot topic lately, and I wanted to see where you stand on things. Yeah, as you know, Dave, there has been this public debate over encrypted DNS and, and how to encrypt DNS. The question is uh, not whether DNS should be encrypted or not. I guess all parties agree that DNS traffic needs to get encrypted. But the question is how to do that. And the options we have are using DNS over HTTPS or using it over uh, TLS, the Transport Layer Security Protocol. Uh, as a reminder, you know, DNS traffic is are the network queries that translate human-friendly domain names into server IP addresses. 
when you type a URL in your browser, you know, the browser asks nearest DNS server for the IP address associated with that domain name. And currently, that query is currently sent in plain text. So security administrators are able to tell which sites users are visiting. That also means that these queries can be intercepted. So you can get the, the wrong answer back uh, from an adversary. So it actually makes sense that uh, these DNS queries get encrypted, both from a security perspective, but also from a privacy perspective. Mm. Now the question is, is how to do it. So with the DNS over HTTPS approach, that gives you uh, good privacy, right? First of all, it gets done by default. You know, in the settings of your browser, uh, the browser can just, you know, encrypt all traffic, whether it's DNS, whether it's HTTPS traffic, everything gets encrypted. As a user, you don't necessarily have to do anything and this is the approach that has been taken by Google, for instance. Google is encrypting all DNS lookups in the Chrome browser. The other approach, uh, the DNS over TLS approach, which cable companies and um, telecom industry groups and ISPs are arguing for, emphasizes security. And it gives the network operators more control to decide, you know, what's the DNS server and which traffic goes further beyond their DNS server or which sites can be blocked. Mm. Uh, from a usability standpoint, uh, users won't notice any difference with either approach. But from the perspective of network administrators, this, the DNS over TLS approach, puts security first against privacy. If you had to choose, would you choose that one? As a user or as a network administrator or? <laughs> well, let's let's start with the professional side. As a network administrator, which one would you prefer? So I think what I would advocate for is DNS over TLS. And I, I, would, I would let the user get more control, right? Hmm have them, first of all, decide, go for TLS, but also decide which DNS server they want to use. The problem with DNS over HTTPS, obviously it gives the user perfect privacy because everything gets encrypted. Even, you can't tell even the traffic is DNS traffic. As a network administrator looking at that traffic, mm -hmm. you can't even know that there is DNS traffic going on, right? Because it's all encrypted. So that mm. gives the users, the end users, perfect privacy. But on the other hand, if you think about this, this is also a, a war about who gets that user data. So, you know, if Google is encrypting all traffic over HTTPS, it's getting all of those DNS queries. Mm -hmm. Same thing, Firefox, if it's encrypting that traffic, it's making Cloudflare get all of that data. If you're doing the TLS way, you know, those ISPs are getting some of that data. So that data is not just delivered just to one entity. And so the fight is more, it's not really about users, users' experience and how easy it is. It's more about accessing the user data. Mm. And, and that's why for me as a professional, <laughs> I would love to have the user have more control and decide where their data should go. Hmm. 
All right. Well, it's an interesting, uh, interesting one. We'll have to see how it plays out. Malek Ben Salem, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dick. My pleasure. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Oh,